It is not every day that a grime artist gets to sit down with the mayor of Greater Manchester, but Andy Burnham is no ordinary politician and today I think you're going to see exactly why. Andy became a household name with the standoff against the government over the tier 3 restrictions being imposed on Greater Manchester back in October of 2020. But today, Andy gave us a real insight into how that situation actually played out when the cameras weren't on and also what inspired him to become a politician and make a real stand for the North. Check this episode out. My name is Nick Nagarko and you are locked into Culture TV. For the culture, by the culture. Let's go. It looks the part, doesn't it? Does it does look the part. For a UFO uh, discussion, yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, we had to have that in for that. <laughs> so Andy, one thing I've always wanted to ask you is how did you get into politics? And in light of the year that you've had, do you regret it? <laughs> sometimes, I'll be honest, I do sometimes. But on the whole, not. Because um, in the end, politics allows you to yeah. make changes that benefit people so it's a tough it's a tough profession i won't i won't uh, i won't <laughs> lie how did i get into it it was growing up here in the northwest in the 1980s yeah um and i could just see obviously everything that was going on my mum and dad weren't in politics you know yeah. i think sometimes people think politicians have got all of these connections and you know yeah. families that are uh always in politics but mine wasn't it was simply that i kind of was looking around at what was going on and yeah. kind of felt felt quite angry about it the thing that probably radicalized me most was was hillsborough actually right because i um i'm an everton supporter i have yeah. to admit that as we know we all know you've noticed you've noticed <laughs> and i um had lots of friends who were there yeah. and i just for those who don't remember it just the the, the outrageous injustice of yeah. people going to a match not coming back but then the powers that be turning on people yeah. and blaming them yeah i just think it's kind of brought home that this is the way the north has always been treated you know yeah. that you can basically treat people as second class citizens and it was that really that probably kind of took me from being just kind of politically aware to being quite I angry and i want this. to change this because yeah. this cannot possibly be right so that i was 19 when hillsborough happened wow and that was the, i would say the you know i'd seen the 80s from close quarters you know moss side toxteth the minor strike I saw, because I was growing up in Lee and I was yeah. at school with lots of people whose dads were on strike. Well, it was a mining town, wasn't it, Lee? Yeah, yeah, Lee. I, I mean, I, I live in a, a little place called Goulburn that had a, had a pit. And when I went to school in Newtonley Willows, my school bus went past Parkside Colliery yeah. every day. So I know it's an odd, it feels like a, a different era now to people, but it was a very big deal at the time, the miners' strike in that part of, yeah. it's just a, you know, the fringes of Greater Manchester. Um, and... Yeah, that that was all building inside me, but then at the end of the eighties, Hillsborough happened, mm -hmm. and it was like, right, this is this we, we we're just getting treated as as I say, second class citizens here. Why why is it that the North is treated different to the South? I think it's got deep roots, isn't it? The power of this country is all concentrated in London and the Southeast. It's always been mm -hmm. like that. And actually, if you look at the way our political system works. We're a very centralised political system. Yeah. So all of the power is in Westminster and all, therefore all of the powerful people are around that area. And it's all concentrated inside the M25. And the North has always be, you know, been taken for granted, hasn't it? Over, over decades, centuries even. Um, and it's, 
it's generally not where the people come from who are the ones who are the most wealthy and the most and the most powerful yeah. and you know if, if i if i believe in anything if i came into politics for anything yeah it was to to speak up for the north basically and that's what i've always in my different ways tried to do do you think that kind of it was that background that inspired you know the big t3 standoff that we had in october mm, I, I mean i was building all my life <laughs> to that to that point uh, and i and i didn't manufacture it you know i, I was really clear i was trying to make it work even a couple of weeks before i was yeah. saying to the government look just treat us fairly we've yeah. been under restrictions since july yeah don't just put and us were you really more. just being fed through the media rather than having direct channels with government? all the time yeah there was a i remember front page on the times all pubs to shut in the north it was a first i'd heard of it you know so that's when you were finding out yeah about how a, yeah. how our city yeah was to to be treated exactly so i was getting wow. angrier and angrier about all of that um, but even then I was still trying to work with them and say, look, just treat us fairly. Mm -hmm. And, and they didn't. Um, and looking back, actually, the, the thing that most irritates me is I was saying to them, to Boris Johnson, right in the middle of, on the day that they were threatening to impose tier three on us. Yeah. I said, look, we have been under restrictions since July for yeah. three months. Recognize that and the impact that's had on our businesses. Mm -hmm. Didn't cut any ice. Three days later, London goes into uh, tier two and yeah. immediately a big check lands for London. Yeah. And they realized then that they had to backdate the support to us. And did they backdate the support? And they did, but you know, it just tells you though, doesn't it, how this country is run, you know? And so I think, yeah, I feel like I was, all of my political life in some ways was building to that to that. It was moment. like it came to a head in that moment, that, well, you, the, the moment that sort of went viral on, on, well, on Sky News and across the internet was when you were, I think you were stood outside the Bridgewater Hall, and then you got the you got the phone off Kevin, and it said, "Well, what it said to you?" Yeah. So basically, what happened was, I'd finished the last conversation mm. with them, and I said, I, "I take it you're still going to give us the sixty million because they put that on the table." Yeah. I said, "You can't take that off." Yeah. You, you know, just because I've not, uh, you know, we've not come to an agreement. Because you've tried to push for more. They can't I've tried take to push off for more. So I, I assume that the sixty million still. There. Oh no, there's no guarantees about that. Then I was outside the Bridgewater Hall giving my side of it to the to the media. And at the same time, a meeting was happening in Westminster where the government were briefing the Greater Manchester MPs about what was happening. Mm. And they said to that meeting, There's no, there's no, there's no money. And somebody immediately texted Kevin and said, you know, you better, you better show Andy this. And he, he did. And, and then it was 22 million they offered you. Yeah, and then they tried to claim that we'd manufactured that moment, but it was, you know, it was. It, it, in some ways, as I say, I didn't didn't seek any of it. Mm. Um, but in this role as mayor of Greater Manchester, what's the point if you're not prepared in that kind of situation when it's clear you're being yeah. treated wrongly? Yeah. What if I'd have just sort of? Oh well, they're the government. And, you know, I'd have been letting everybody down here. Now I can see, I imagine that not everybody agreed with what I did, but mm -hmm. I would do it all again in a heartbeat because I, if, I've, if there's anything that motivates me now, yeah. it's to, to get equal treatment for people in the North of England as others in the South. Do you think what's happened over the past 12 months has sort of equipped you even better to do this job on a second term? I. I See, I've been in politics a long time. I've been a Greater Manchester MP for 17 years before becoming mayor. And yeah. it, I suppose what I've learned over the years is I know how to stand my ground now mm. and I know how to get my voice heard. And it takes a time because when I was a younger MP, I, you know, I didn't 
really understand those things. But now I do. You know, I've watched other politicians. I've seen how other others do it. I, I now know how that system works down there. Yeah. I know the games that they play. Mm. Nobody can sort of, you know, pull the wool because I know how they yeah. work. And so I'm in a position <clears throat> where I can be a really be a you know a, a, a strong voice and yes I, I think I can go on and do do more to be honest yeah because I've got the confidence of having done this role now for, for for four years and I'm really clear you know I left Westminster because I was sick of it I was sick of the way they treated the north down there even my own party at times too London centric mm -hmm. you know so it's it's a criticism I make of all of them yeah and in some ways when I left that I left party politics behind yeah, and I'm in it because of what this place deserves in terms yeah. of the treatment it deserves. And, you know, that is what kind of, I find it quite liberating, to be honest, having left that world behind. Yeah. And I'm just calling it, and I, I don't play politics with issues. If the government do it right, I'll say so. Yeah. But when they don't, I'll say so as loudly as I possibly can. I think over the last couple of years, I think a lot of people will agree with me that we've all lost faith in politicians, the Brexit crisis, then the way the pandemic was managed. And I feel like, do we even believe politicians when they speak anymore? We all know the speaking sound bites, the veil of that mystery of that's gone. They, we know they never answer a direct question anymore. We know that they skillfully work the way around answering anything. And I feel as a, as a people in Britain, we've just lost faith in politicians. How do you think that could, or can that faith ever be restored in, in politicians, mm. do you think? I think you were going to ask me that, how could that have happened? Mm. And I, I'll give you one uh, explanation. Westminster makes a fraud out of the people who go there. Yeah. Because, what do you mean by that? Because when people have to toe the party line. Right, okay. And vote according to the whip. Yeah. It makes them sometimes say things that they don't 100% believe yeah. because it's the line, you know, this yeah. is what the party line is. Or it makes them vote in ways that might go against some of their principles. Is that not, is that not anti-democratic in a, in a way? It's the way our system works. And I kind of realised myself, if I carried on just sort of living in that sort of Westminster world, mm. I don't know where I would have ended up by the time I'd, you know, I, I think so many people end up with their political careers feeling a bit burnt by it because yeah. of that reason because they can't be themselves yeah and i think because of that and i think because of maybe the tendency of modern politicians to speak in sound bites to speak in riddles <laughs> it ends up that people are a bit like what's this what are they all about these yeah. people i don't get it you know yeah. what are they and so i understand exactly what you're what you're saying and i felt it myself yeah. you know bear in mind i was in there for 16 years as the mp for lee yeah and i felt myself the kind of gap between you were shadow home secretary right yeah uh, Shadow Health, I was Health Secretary. I was a minister in the Blair government and in the Brown government. So I consider myself really, uh, you know, really privileged. But, you know, I mentioned Hillsborough at the start of this interview. I mean, this is how life is strange at times. You know, I was the minister who went to Anfield on the 20th anniversary of the Hillsborough disaster. Mm -hmm. And when I stepped forward to speak to the cop, yeah. I can only tell you that I knew I was stepping forward to almost like the kind of edge of a cliff between the government I was in and the people. Mm. I knew how they how had big the divide no was. faith on that particular issue and yeah. on others as well. So in some ways, I was like, the, the, the whole conflict about politics was kind of embodied in me really. I'm, yeah. the, the, 
the individual me would have been shouting at the government like like they were. Yeah. But I was meant to be the professional politician, and in some ways that conflict, you know, that I, I was kind of I in the middle like of in that October, conflict. It kind of came to that point, though, where I think a lot of people in, in Greater Manchester would agree that, which is I think how you've got your new nickname, is that we felt like you were one of us, and I think we've not really. I think that was. I think the reason why there was so much attention from the news and on social media because it, it felt for the first time we've got a politician as such who is actually acting as one of the people and i think that was the first time certainly that i've seen that in in recent times i feel very disenfranchised by politics over the years and i think that was quite a refreshing moment for for all of us well it's, i'm glad to hear you say that obviously mm. but I, I think politics has got to get back to true representation you yeah. know and not pulling your punches sometimes <laughs> you know if something's wrong say it's wrong yeah say it clearly root it in the reality of people's people's lives mm -hmm. um and i think the mayoral role allows you to do that yeah. because in many ways you're, you're elected as an individual more than as a as a party if you yeah. like and and i think that's why devolution of power taking power out of westminster and creating more um uh Local power. Local power. I think a lot of people don't understand because the, the term devol devolution is, is thrown, out, thrown around a lot. And I think a lot of people don't quite understand what that means to them specifically. Can you, can you sort of elaborate on, on that? It basically means power in our hands, not in someone else's hands. Yeah. That's, just, that's the simplest way I can put it. Yeah. You know, you've got a situation at the moment where half of the parliament is unelected yeah i mean just think about that for a moment here we are in 2021 yeah and you've got kind of lords and ladies and baronesses and god knows what in the house of lords no mm. one's ever elected them mm. the vast majority so, so how them, do they get that then they are appointed right and the vast majority of them some of them are hereditary so it's passed down through their family mm -hmm. but the vast majority of them live in the m25 they've no clue honestly right. i've been there i know what they're like they've no clue what life is like mm. in greater manchester yet they're sitting there making your laws in 2021 and i don't understand why people are more outraged yeah. about that so my whole agenda is taking power out of their hands mm -hmm. and to put it into our hands here because the house of lords has to ratify whatever the house of commons does is that is that correct it can amend what the house of commons does right and actually the the really odd thing is acts of parliaments or laws are more likely to be changed in the House of Lords than they are in the House of Commons because in the House of Commons, the government just has a, a three-line whip. It, it, it can make MPs vote in the way it wants them to. Yeah. It's only when it gets to the House of the Lords where, they, where they're not as disciplined as the Commons, right. where people vote in all kinds of different ways. And yeah. most laws are actually made in the Lords. Right. And But again, just think about that. People that you have not elected have not had any who have no accountability to you whatsoever yeah. are making your laws and you know that is what's so wrong about this country this country is is run by the great and the good mm -hmm. um it's dominated by london and the southeast um and it shows doesn't it can it ever change well westminster in my view is as well it's it's uh, discriminated against the north of England for a long, for a long time. Look at the way the money's spent. You yeah. know, it's we've never had a, a fair deal. Can it change? I think this is our best chance of it changing. Not waiting for them to change themselves, mm -hmm. but for us to becoming Force more change on them. strong about what we want yeah. and our voice to get louder. Yeah. And so I kind of really feel um, that we're building something important here. And Greater Manchester is at the forefront of this movement to take power out of 
out of Westminster and do more with it ourselves. Yeah. And I think that will, in the end, answer your point. I think it will connect people better with politics when it's people from our own area speaking yeah. on issues that matter to us yeah. in a way that people can relate to. If you had magic number of money, let me think, I don't know, 22 billion, say. <laughs> Ooh, where did you get that figure from? <laughs> Let's say you had 22 billion pound to spend on Greater Manchester, no red tape. You've got 22 billion to spend on the people of Greater Manchester in the city. How would you spend that money? I would spend it first and foremost on transport. I yeah. think the biggest thing that's holding us back is is the transport system. Okay. Um, if you go to a, let's say, a city in Germany or France, it's just light years ahead of where yeah. we are. And I think we we've got to be aspiring to be one of those world cities. Yeah. Where you come out of the airport and you you've got you know taxis all of the same standard modern taxis you know quality uh, transport links straight into the city centre, mm -hmm. um, and we haven't got that at the moment. And so twenty two billion pounds doesn't go as far as you think these these days. But I would invest it in massively expanding Metrolink to all communities in Greater Manchester. Yeah. Uh, huge improvement in the bus system, making it all electric. Yeah. Uh, bringing down the cost of fares. I think that is the single biggest game changer. It would massively improve people's lives and it would help people connect to jobs and opportunities. How do you feel that Greater Manchester is going to recover from this pandemic? Slowly, if I'm honest. Mm -hmm. I don't think it will be instant. Um, I think the damage that's been done is is deeper than people might realise. Do you think we're even seeing the, the damage that has been done yet? No, not fully. And I think what's coming is a is a mental health pandemic after the, the COVID pandemic. I think, yeah. you know, people um, are going to take some time uh, to recover, uh, recover from it. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's going to um, be a three to five year job. I mean, I, I know that might sound a bit, a bit depressing, but I think that's the fact. Yeah. Um, think about this. There's been a six fold increase in destitution in the Northwest since the pandemic really? began six fold. Wow. It's doubled nationally but it's increased six times here. It's the number of households in destitution, which means people living on less than 100 pounds a week. Um, six times? Six times. And the reason why wow. is because our economy <clears throat> is more has been more exposed to the pandemic. Yeah. So we have more people working in uh, live events, live yeah. music, um, sport, hospitality, mm -hmm. tourism, all of the industries that have been most impacted uh, by the pandemic um, and not all of the people working within those industries have had help from the government a lot of people have been excluded from public support no i mean i'm a musician and i mean i'm lucky that i've got i've got a business but if i didn't have that and i was relying solely on my music income during this time i'd be in a, a really bad situation a lot of musician friends that i know are, are also in that sort of really bad situation I think people in the music industry have had it really tough because yeah. obviously a whole trade's been taken away. I know people have tried to do things digitally, but it's not easy, is it? No. And then you look at our venues. We've been working over the last year to keep the lights on in the places like Gorilla and the Deaf Institute and there's yeah. you know, other venues that are, are struggling. Then you get the bizarre situation where the government negotiates a Brexit deal <laughs> where they turn down... Mm -hmm visa-free travel for yeah, musicians in Europe. I mean, what's all that about? This is ridiculous. That is one of our best exports. Yeah. I mean, from, from our point of yeah. view, it was Greater Manchester. 
our music industry is without doubt yeah, I mean, world leading. And personally, I we're, we're traveling to Europe every single weekend. And like now, we're, well, once we were able to do that again, I mean, we don't even know what the implications of this are. Yeah. Well, Can it change? Can they get the visas back? Well, it's going to be difficult, isn't it? Because Europe offered it. And it right. would have been much more in our interest to accept visa-free travel for musicians than it probably would be for Europe because yeah. th there's more traffic going from the UK to Europe Without than is doubt. coming from Europe to the UK. Without a doubt. So why turn that down? I, you know, it, it just says to me again how sometimes people down there just don't value what, we, what we've got. They don't understand the creative and cultural power yeah. of the Manchester music industry. And it's shown, isn't it, by that mm -hmm. decision. Um, because, you know, you, you would want to give no barriers in front of our, you would, want, you would want to put no barriers in front of one of our best exports. And yet that's what they've done. Yeah. I'm just hoping that that can be reversed somehow. I mean, there's a lot of us who, that are hoping that there is still some kind of magic negotiation that can, that well, can go on. I think it possibly can be in time, but you know, it's- Do you a, not think it'll be in the short term though? It could be, but I think, you know, the relationships between the UK and Europe are, are, are not, not great, obviously, are they? And it no. might take a bit of time for some of those things to be put yeah. put right again. But we're hearing that there are impacts on a whole range of industries in, in Greater Manchester. The fashion industry, I think, has been quite yeah. uh, badly hit by, by all of this. So it's just going to be a tough time, isn't it, in the, in, the next, in the next few years? But one of the things that gives me hope is the way this this city region was powering on just before the pandemic. Yeah. You know, if you look at the city centre, it's amazing. I, mean, yeah. I can't even relate to it yeah. from the city centre that I came back to yeah. when I left university. So I came back here in the early 90s, yeah. determined to work here, not London, yeah. and couldn't find a job anywhere really? other than uh, a job as an unpaid reporter on the Middleton Guardian, which was my very first uh, job. Really? Uh, yeah, wow. uh, it was. Is it still going to Middleton Guardian? I, I don't know. I think it might have uh, <laughs> it might have merged with something uh, now. But uh, I loved it. It was brilliant uh, f for me. But that was, and I look back then. You know, the Great Manchester of the early nineties. It's it is so different yeah. today. But I also think we're not punching our weight either yet as, yeah. a, as a city. There is so much more we could we could be yeah we are get get your head around this the fastest growing digital and tech hub in europe we wow. are and it's a growing success story yeah and i think we will get it back but i do think we're gonna we we, you know, we have suffered some damage here and yeah. there will be a sense of you know progress being a bit interrupted for a little while do you think greater manchester spirit will overcome all of this oh without a doubt it already has done hasn't it yeah you know, we've been through a lot over the last... We're year. a different breed here, aren't we? Definitely. Best people in the world. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. No, me neither. I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. No. I, I like visiting other places. Same. I, I have this conversation all the time. There's I wouldn't no mind a bit more sun. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, there's... Th what, what, what did Ian Brown say? We've got everything except a beach. I wouldn't mind a beach if yeah. we could, could find, <laughs> find one of them. But no, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else, no. anywhere else in the world. I think there's a people here they're a rare breed of warm generous decent yeah. people and in the end it's the people that defines a place yeah but actually if you look around what else we've got i think people have been exploring our countryside over the last yeah even we have haven't we, we yeah. we've often not realized what we've got on I our found new trails in manchester and never I existed no i have in you know and i live in the wigan borough yeah. and some of the places i've been to you know we've all opened our eyes yeah. to what's on our doorstep and i think we've maybe on taking things for granted as much as we uh, as we once as we once were I, I think the amazing thing about manchester is you can be in like the city center 
and in 10 minutes, you're in the countryside or what would look like the countryside. You could be down at Fletcher Moss in Didsbury in like no time at all. Yeah. And then you can't see a building in sight. I know, and it's that's the beauty of it, isn't yeah. it? And I hear so many people leaving London saying, because yeah. there's a lot of businesses now relocating here. Yeah. And people saying, God, I can't believe I didn't do this earlier. You yeah. know, you can have such a, you know, Manchester's got what London has got in terms yeah. of the bars and restaurants, but then, you can be out in the countryside, as uh, you say, within... And at a fraction of the price. And at a fraction of the price. Yeah. So we've got it all. We and, we've got the, it all. and we've got the people as well. You exactly. know, at least people talk to you here rather than stare, so, stare at you in silence on the tube in London. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of people will be thinking that it's a foregone conclusion that you're going to win this next re-election that you're up for in, in May. But how important do you think it is that people should still go out and vote? or vote by a post or whether it's in person? I definitely don't take it as a foregone conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think um, every election is, you know, I, I treat every election as though it's, you know. It's, Are you as nervous about this one as the first one? I'm always nervous about <laughs> elections. And anyone who works with me on elections will, will know the famous Kevin who showed me the text message, he'll tell you that I'm the worst, the worst candidate going because I'm always a bit a bit nervous about elections. But no, I, I, I will work hard. I'm going to be putting forward a very big campaign pledge on a London style public transport system for Greater Manchester. And I hope that gives people a reason to vote uh, because it is a big change that we'll be proposing. Um, and I think the government are going ahead with this election in May. Yeah. Because it suits them to do that. You know, why, why not wait until July when it's a little bit warmer, a little bit safer? Yeah. I think they want a low turnout. Right. And it, they think that will work better for them. What do you so, think that, that would give them more power? Yeah, I think they think it's more likely that they will do better on a low turnout right. than if there's a lot more people turning out to vote. Oh, okay, so, you. you know, I really want to get the message over that people, you know, should vote after this pandemic. However, it, you've experienced this pandemic, whatever it's done to you, you know, it's really important, I think, that coming out of it, you kind of make a statement one yeah. way or another. You know, you might like what the government's done. Uh, and fine, if you, want, if you want to vote that way, do. But I, I would say a lot of people here have not been treated fairly. No. And this mayoral election, I would hope, if I could put it this way, yeah. and when I took that stand last year, yeah. you know, if people were then to endorse me with their vote come May, yeah. I think it would kind of send the message back down there again to say, look, you know, this they, is what we want. Well, they tried to punish us a bit. You know, they tried to divide. Oh, Liverpool are great, and you know, to, they tried yeah. to do a bit of divide and rule, and they yeah. tried to sort of put me in the you know on, on the naughty step from their from yeah. their point of view. I just think if people were to come out and vote at this election and to to give me their support again, and I hope they will, yeah. it really does send a quite strong message back down to uh, to, um, to to Westminster to say, look, you know. We, we have been promised a northern powerhouse. We've been promised fair treatment. We've been promised investment. Mm -hmm. So, you know, where is it? You know, and I think it will kind of, um, you know, it would, it would help sort of draw a line under that, uh, under that whole thing. Yeah. Well, I think the people of Greater Manchester, we need, a, we need a voice for the people. We don't need a politician that speaks in sound bites. And from what I can see, you've more than proved that. So, uh, good luck with it. Thank you. Well, yeah. it's nice of you to say that. Yeah. I, I will keep doing what I'm doing. I won't have got everything right over the last years. I'm sure people will, you know, will agree with me on some things, disagree on other. But all yeah. I can say is I'm in it. When I say I'm in it for the right reasons, what I mean by that is I'm in it for this place, the people of this place, 
the, the people here who actually do deserve deserve more because they are so so brilliant yeah and um and i think we are getting somewhere i think our voice is getting heard but we can probably do a bit more and i'm I, for me it feels unfinished business you know yeah. if people could give me their support and a good mandate yeah i think we can go on to really great things how long is the next term three years because it, it's it's a different term than than government it's because it? this election was delayed right so normally it. it would be a four-year election but yeah. because we've it should have been May last year. That's right. Yeah. So it will be. It will be three years. Right. But that's enough time for me to um, to do a lot of the things that I'm promising to do, and in particular, reform the way the transport system works. And that's going to be my my big pledge at this election. Well, fingers crossed. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much, Andy. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, mate. Thanks a lot, Nick.